0: Aaron Vega, uh, pastor of Redeemer Bible Church. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. Just a couple announcements, I think, are due before we get into the Word. Um, uh, One is that uh, next Sunday evening is our quarterly uh, family meeting. Uh, So if you're a member of Redeemer Bible Church, uh, then please make it a point to be there next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to just kind of get updates and pray together. Uh, this Sunday, or next Sunday, is going to be a little special because we're, you know, it's, it's uh, we've been talking to you about the, the, the situation of the property for the last year and especially some new developments in the last um, maybe four or five months or so, some direction that the Lord is giving us. So we're going to talk about those and lay out the options and Uh, Just weigh those out together as a family together and we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page and we're going to spend a lot of that time just seeking God's guidance. So we're going to pray um, during that time. So I I really ask I I need you there brothers and sisters. uh, So to pray with me to seek God's guidance uh, on the future of our church specifically our location and our property. Okay. Uh, Also uh, coming up. This is uh, going pretty far down the line, but November 1st, we're going to have uh, movie night. Uh, so uh, some of you might have seen uh, the Essential Church when it was out. It was very limited viewing, so I, I know some of us want to see it, but we never could. It was either too far, just the wrong time of day, or it was sold out because there was like 10 seats in the little theater that they would show them in, there was, it was just like so limited, and so we want to give you an opportunity to see it for free, we're going to show it here on November 1st, that's a Wednesday night, so instead of our community groups, we're going to meet here, uh, that's the night after Halloween, uh, we're going to be here and have some popcorn and treats since we have a movie night together, it's a really well-made movie, uh, it's a, kind of a documentary, but it's, but it's really well done, it's not boring, it's not, it doesn't feel like a documentary, it's, and it's, you'll leave super encouraged. Uh, which is something that you don't get from your average movie nowadays. You actually leave super encouraged and and uh, motivated to uh, to exalt Christ in your life uh, through the church. All right, I think that's enough announcements for us this morning. Uh, oh, one one more. <laughs> uh, well, just uh, the fact that we do have an overflow room. So if if you have little ones or if you need space, uh, we have an overflow room just across uh, the the parking lot here. It's our Redeemer's Kids uh, room. You'll just follow the signs or ask to usher to point you in the right direction. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we start to fill up, um, you know, just be sensitive to that. If you can, kind of try and squeeze in for uh, those that are uh, trickling in during our service. All right. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, after a, about a month away... Uh, uh, Looking at uh, Global Missions last month, now we're back in Colossians. So, just to kind of reorient us, Colossians is all about the sufficiency, or rather I should say the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Colossians is all about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. In chapter 1, there's that great Christ hymn um, where it just exalts and and lauds Christ for his glory and excellencies in in his person and work. In chapters 3 and 4, it goes on to explain uh, how that supreme and wonderful Christ is sufficient for your everyday life and your day-to-day relationships. Uh, Chapter 2 is kind of a blend between the two. Chapter 2 is where we see, um, you could say philosophically or doctrinally, uh, we see the supremacy of Christ meet the sufficiency of Christ. And what Paul is doing is he's bringing those two together and showing how they interconnect. And so what we see here is... Uh, both the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, uh, we're we're looking this morning at the end of chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. It says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, nor taste, nor touch which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men, which are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And a little bit of a preview for next week, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the, the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, on a recent family vacation, uh, we were uh, blessed to be able to go to Universal Studios down in Southern California. And I think most of us, many of us, maybe have gone there ourselves and been able to visit and have some fun on the rides and, and, and everything that they offer there at Universal Studios, Uh, but they have a tour that's like, you know, it's the most boring tour in some respects, and it's the longest ride, but if you go to Universal Studios, you got to go on their tour, right, on the the studio tour, and basically it's just this trolley that takes you through uh, all their famous old movie sets that they've used in past movies, Full of, you know, those fake towns, the fake shark, hopefully that's not a spoiler, Uh, fake buildings and fake homes, fake floods. Uh, You know, they bring you through that and they show you, you know, how they uh, built them and how they, you know, they, they, they filmed these movies or shows on those sets. And you know what's what's interesting is they, they, those places they seem so real when you see them on the screen, whether it's a TV screen or the movie screen. But when you're there in person, it's not so. It, there's no wow factor. It's not. It's not like oh, I'm in the middle of Italy. You don't get that feel because you you have a perspective. You're farther out and you're on the trolley and you just see oh, it's just big sheets of plywood painted. That's all they are. It's not real towns. They have the facades of homes and buildings, but in reality, they're they're of no value if you want to buy a place to live in Southern California. You don't go there, right? They're useless to somebody that wants to find some place to live. They're just fake towns. Those fake towns in Universal Studios are exactly the right illustration for a Christless Christianity. That's the title of the sermon today, The Danger of Christless Christianity. The Danger of Christless Christianity. And I desire this morning, dear saint, that you would cre- keep Christ at the center of your spiritual life. You know, those, those fake towns of Universal Studios um, are, are much like the Christianity of your nominal Christian. Or even, maybe even of some of us this morning. This fake Christianity is prevalent all over the world. Especially in places like America where it's a little easier to be a Christian. Where maybe it's even advantageous to be a Christian, to bear that name. And what happens if you have a crisis Christianity is that you trade Christ himself for moralism, for entertainment, and pragmatism in the church. So a church that uh, has a crisis Christianity is a church that on the outside, on the front, looks great. It looks just fine. There's moralism, right? They're, people, they're just good people, good, decent people. Uh, you know the Sunday morning is entertaining. It's a great show. It's a great. You know, I felt good that Sunday morning. I left feeling pretty good, jazzed up about Jesus and spiritual things and whatnot. And and you know they have all the programs. It's, there, there's pragmatism. You know they, they they have the the children's ministry, the the teen ministry, the the, the 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 young adult ministry, the the older folk ministry, and everything in between. And you know they they. They, they feed the homeless and they do this good deed and that good deed. On the outside, it looks great. It looks nice. But without Christ, dear church, without Christ as the essence and center of our religion, of what we do here, of your life, all you're left with is low morality and limited perspective and really a lifeless religion. Those are our three points this morning. As we think about the danger of a Christless Christianity, uh, it, the danger is low morality, limited perspective, and lifeless religion. First of all, low morality. A Low morality. And that's from verses 20 and 21. If you notice, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, nor taste, nor touch. Paul says here that having a Christless Christianity leaves you with a low morality. A morality based on personal preference, social norms, and human popularity. Without Christ... There's no motivation and no power. There's no real purpose great enough to really change how you live. That's the danger. He says here, if you have died with Christ. Now the context tells us that Paul does assume that who he's writing to, the church in Colossae, are believers. He does assume that. That they had actually died with Christ and now are spiritually alive in him. Yet he still finds the need here to qualify his statement with an if. With an if. Notice in chapter 2 verse 12 it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. If you've died with Christ, then you've also been raised with Christ. You don't die with Christ and stay there. That's not what he's saying. He's, what he's saying is, if you've died with him, that means that you've been raised with him as well. And that's what he's going to go on to say in chapter 3, verse 1, but that's next week. So if you've died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. And that means that the the, the true Christian now lives a new life in Christ. His life today is severed uh, severed from his past life apart from Christ. There is a distinct difference, as distinct and as radical a difference as death is from life. But the trouble is that there are many who say that they're Christians, but essentially live the same way that they always have. And they, they are not changing. They're not growing in holiness. And that's why Paul says, if you've died. If you're a Christian, then you have died with Christ. The old you is dead. Along with his attitudes, his addictions, his patterns, and his passions. That old you is dead. And that's a work of God. You don't do that. When you come to faith in Christ, that old you dies. At the hands of the Savior, as it were. Matthew 16 says, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is very clear. If you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, you got to die. That means you die. The old you, living for yourself, is a thing of the past. Not perfectly. But the direction of your life is not towards self. It is towards Christ. So I have to ask, and this is a good grid to, for us to pass through Before we get into the rest of the passage, I have to ask you, dear friend, did you die with Christ? Have you died with Christ? I didn't ask if you prayed a prayer. I didn't ask if you raised your hand when the pastor told you to raise your hand. I didn't ask if you walked down an aisle. I didn't ask if you felt a feeling one day. That's not the test of true Christianity. Did you die? That's what it means to come to Christ. It means that you leave behind your old life and you cling to Christ alone, your life. And that's what he's going to go on to, to say in uh, verse 4 of chapter 3. Christ, who is your life. He's your life now. And that's going to show. You know, we often go to that event, that prayer that I prayed, or that hand that I raised, or the, when I walked down the aisle, when I felt that feeling. We go back to that experience And we say, well, that's how I know I'm saved. That's not the test. That's not the requirement. The test to know if you are a Christian today is are you living a new life today? If you're not, then you've never died with Christ and you were never raised with Him. But praise God. That when we come to Him by faith, we don't have to kill ourselves, we don't have to uh, work up enough spiritual energy, we just fall at His feet. And in that act of faith, in reliance on Christ, we die. The very reliance of Christ. Faith is a looking away from self to Christ in every way. It is is shifting your paradigm of looking to self to another paradigm of looking to Christ. Having Him be your reference point for all of life. For how you are accepted before God. For for who you go to for guidance. For who you live for. What's your motivation? What's your power? It's now found in Christ alone. God does that. To every Christian when he gives them a new heart. Now, not only have we died to those past sins. But we've also died to the low morality of the world. He says, you have died, if you have died with Christ. To the elementary principles of the world. Now, he already spoke about this. uh, In uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. That sounds familiar in our text. According to the elementary principles of the world. That sounds familiar in our text as well. And not according to Christ. So for a more in-depth treatment of, of this, you, you can refer back to that sermon uh, in Colossians 2.8, but, but what he's saying here is, is, is Paul is using a, this term, elementary principles of the world. He's using this term metaphorically because it literally means the elements uh, like water and sun and wind and earth. That's what scientifically it means, but metaphorically he's using this term to talk about the basic principles of life. Or as I've said, it's like the ABCs of morality and ethics. It's the cheap morality of the world. And Paul says, you've died to that cheap morality. What, what, what does this look like? It's the cheap morality, the shallow uh, principles of this world, like uh, things, when people say things like this, if I feel this way, then it must be true. Or, love is love. Or, be true to your authentic self. Or, if I call it a fetus, then I can abort it. It's shallow morality. It's simplistic thinking. It's a shallow thinking also that even creeps into the church where where we say, well, if I pay the bills, then I'm a good husband. Or if I go to church and sing then I'm a Christian. That's a Christless Christianity. That is low morality. It's elementary principles. And Paul says that the Christian has died to those. You haven't died to morality, just to the, just to the kind of morality that is based on human thought and man-centered standards. And so he asks, Why? If that's true, if you've died to that, why do you submit yourself to decrees? Paul reasons with us. Why would you do this? When you have already died with Christ, you were set free from the judgment of of, and and the guilt of the law. Right? That's what he says in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of what? Decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. And he said there, the decrees, which is here the law of God, he says those decrees, they're hostile against you. Why? Because they judge you. And Paul reasons with, with us, Why would you submit yourself to those decrees? You've already died with Christ. You were set free from the judgment and guilt of that law. Why would you go back to decrees? What decrees will do not handle, nor taste, nor touch? It's human moralism. That's what Paul is fighting against here. It's those laws that we make for ourselves that really only deal with outward performance. It's the facade that some of us might bring um, to church on a Sunday morning. You know, there, there's an old phrase that says something like don't smoke, don't drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Submitting yourself to decrees in this passage, in this verse, is like saying, I'm a good Christian because I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. To which I'd say, okay, fine, but you want to. But you want to. The only thing that's holding you back is, well... You know, i got to stay for the kids. Or that won't look very nice. Or that's just going to mess up my whole plan for my life. Just because you don't do those outward things doesn't mean that you're close to God. Morality does not equal intimacy with God. It's an outflow of it but it's not the same thing. What's striking here is the law, right? These decrees, the law, Christian, was not given for you to prove yourself. Right? Think about it. God doesn't give you the law for you to prove yourself. Why did he give us the law? It was to prove that you can't fulfill the law. That you are guilty is to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt I am guilty, I'm a sinner, I'm a wretch and I need to place my faith in Christ as the one who fulfilled the law in my place and as the one who received my guilt for breaking the law in my place. He says something that's just stunning. He says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? It, it, this, it, this is a shocking phrase, and, and, but often we just pass by it without noticing, I think. If we're reading carefully, our response should say, our response should be, "Paul, we are living in the world. What are you talking about? He's talking about our main reference point, our central reality. This world is not, and Christian, this world cannot be your primary point of reference for your life. And this is exactly a hint to what Paul is going to go on to say in chapter 3, verse 1. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's your main reference point. Sure, you live here, but you don't really live here. This is not your life. Christians, stop living like this is all there is. We need to start living like there is an eternity to come. Like there is a Savior that we're going to meet one day. Without Christ, we are left with a low morality. But with Christ, with Christ, Christian, we have a transcendent morality. It's a transcendent morality. As we walk through this world, we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. That's where he's going in chapter 3, verse 1. We keep our eyes fixed transcendently on Christ, on the world to come, where he is. You know, when you go hiking, if you've ever done that, if you go hiking or you go on a walk, what do you do? How do you keep from tripping over a rock or spraining your ankle in a a divot in the road? Well, you watch where you're going, right? Christian, how do you keep from stumbling in this life? You watch where you're going. Where are you going, Christian? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Christ. Watch where you're going. And that will keep you from stumbling in this life. Keep Christ at the center of your spiritual life. Now, without Christ, not only is your morality too low, but your perspective is too low. Verse 22. Which deal with everything destined to perish with use which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men. Here Paul is saying that if your main reference point of spirituality is earthly and not heavenly, then by definition your perspective will be limited. Your mind will be focused on the here and now rather than on the infinite and eternal. Your attention will be on man and not on Christ. And you will end up robbing yourself of the glory and wonder that is the Christian life. This is exactly what Paul is battling in the Colossian church. He says that these things are, are, deal <clears throat> excuse me, with everything destined to perish with use. These elementary principles, these human decrees are more concerned about food and drink than a person's heart. That's the problem. As Christ said in Matthew 15, food doesn't defile you. Drink doesn't make you a sinner. Your heart does. He says in Matthew 15, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and goes into the sewer? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, theft, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Dear friend, if I can speak to you, if you're not a believer this morning... Your main problem is not the alcohol that you drink or the food that you eat or the things that you watch. Your main problem is your heart. The problem is that you love that alcohol, that food, those things that you watch or the garbage that you take in problem is your heart that you love those things what's the remedy you need a new heart you need to be changed you see changing what you do on a sunday morning or cleaning up your behavior a little bit is not what it means to be a child of god that's a christless christianity Paul gives us another reason why we should not make our spiritual uh, reality merely about morality. He says, which are in accordance, these things are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men. So these elementary principles, these human decrees, find their source in mere men. That's the problem as well. The problem is the source. These are human Traditions, human regulations. And Paul, or excuse me, God hates that. We know that from passages like Isaiah 29. This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their fear of me is in the command of men. The only reason they show up. It's because this is what's expected by other people. Dear friend, are, is the only reason that you're here is for another person? I'm glad that you're here. It doesn't mean I want you to leave. But that is not enough. Not by a long shot. You see, if, if, the, if the source is limited and finite... Just like all mankind is, then the product will be limited and finite. What do I mean? What you're going to end up with here is, is limited and finite commands and teachings commands and teachings that are unable to really fix the problem, unable to change the heart. What do these things look like? It's just religious pragmatism. If we can put a title to it. It's religious pragmatism. It's, it's, it's the mindset of, you know, we just need to fill the homeless person's stomach. And that's religion. I just just fix my marriage. Or I, I just need to, to raise good kids. Or just make me feel good on a Sunday, pastor. That is limited. That is a limited morality. That is a limited perspective on life. And on the things of God. Without Christ, you are left with this. A limited perspective. But with Christ, at the center. Christian, you gain an eternal perspective. Not a limited perspective, but an eternal one. And the result is that your life is controlled by eternal realities. That's what he's going to get to in the next passage. Verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If If your reference point is this earth, it's a limited perspective. Set your mind on the things above. That's an eternal perspective. Christian. You need to keep Christ at the center of your spiritual life. We don't feed homeless just because it's the religious Christian thing to do. We feed them so that it opens up an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Don't come to church so that God will fix your marriage. Come to church so that God will change you. So that you will be more honoring to Christ. And that you'll see Him more fully. Don't just try and raise good kids. If you raise good kids, you failed. That's not the the ultimate goal. Now you can try and raise kids, of course, under the nurture and admonition of the Lord and you can give them the gospel and then they just they just leave it behind. They they forget it. And then they, they reject it. You're not a failure then but if your perspective is your if your goal is I just want well behaved kids that is too low. That is too limited a perspective on what it means to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of Christ. So children, you're with us this morning. Ask mom and dad. Every week, ask mom and dad. Tell me about Jesus. Tell them. Ask them. Tell me about Jesus. And parents, be ready to answer. Without Christ, your morality is too low. Your perspective is limited. And what you're left with is a lifeless religion. Verse 23. Which are matters having, to be sure, a word of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Here, and by this point, I I hope that you already can see how without Christ, all you're left with is just the facade, just the plywood and paint of Christianity, but no real home behind it. All you're left with is just religion. And at that point, what's the difference between us and Catholicism, or Buddhism, or or uh, Islam, or whatever else? What's the difference? Take your pick. If that's all it's about, without Christ, all we have is an empty religion. It's lifeless. In a word, without Christ, Christianity is worthless. But the deceptive thing is that on the outside, even a Christless Christianity seems nice, seems good. What Paul does here is he disarms that kind of thinking in this last verse. He says these are things which are matters having, to be sure, a word of wisdom. Your, your translation might be an appearance of wisdom. Paul admits here sure, moralism seems nice and it seems even helpful to people. It has a word, it has an appearance of wisdom. We've all seen those knockoff brands, right? Whether it was a meme online or at the dollar store or the Dollar Tree. Instead of Nike, it's Nico. <laughs> Instead of Supreme, it's, it's Surprise. <laughs> Instead of Dove soap, it's Dave soap. Maybe not, but, but I'm sure we, we've all bought that cheap tool or that cheap item at the Dollar Tree? I know I have. And you buy it thinking, well, this is a bargain. I mean, I'm not going to find a hammer for a dollar anywhere else. You take it home only to find out that it falls apart in the first use. Dear friends, that is Christless Christianity. Christianity. He says it's, it's self-made religion. Is one way to talk about it. Self-made religion. Literally self-willed religion. It's the thinking that, you know, all I need to do, I just need to man up. You just need to put on your work boots and just try harder. Now, it seems right on the surface. There's a word of wisdom there. Because following Christ is hard work. Absolutely but this is your do-it-yourself religion i just got to do it myself there's no reference to christ you don't look to him for your example you don't look to him as your purpose you don't look to him as your motivation you don't look to him as your power to get it done it's just i just got to buck up that's self-made religion It's also self-abasement, he says. Self-abasement. It's just the word humility. And, And humility is right. And it's even commanded in Scripture. But this is a false humility. This is the humility of someone who feels that he or she has to make himself Lower than he is. That's self-abasement. I have to humble myself lower than what I am. I got to take the low road, even though I could or should take the high road. That's not true humility. True humility is not making yourself less than you are. True humility is admitting how little you really are. It's coming to terms that I'm a loser. That I have nothing to offer to God. That I am powerless and weak. It's admitting, it's coming to terms with that reality. And even, it's, it's, it's admitting that I'm worse than I think I am. I'm a wretched, wicked, vile sinner. Scum of the earth. And, and that's not the half of it. I'm worse than that. That is true humility. Not this self-abasement. He goes on and he uses another term to describe this Christless Christianity as severe treatment of the body. Severe treatment of the body. Literally, this is unsparing treatment. It is to neglect yourself of not only sinful things, which should be done, but it's even to deny yourself of good things. You know, if someone struggles with their phone, whether it's pornography or endless scrolling or binge-watching shows, whatever the specifics are, if you struggle with your phone, you might think, you know, I just need to delete some apps, use some filters. Maybe I just need to, to, to you know, trade that in for a flip phone for a year. And, and, and then I'm fine. And those things might be part of what you need to do. But what Paul is saying here is that those things do not provide you with the real solution. Remember, it's not enough that you don't smoke, chew, smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls that do. It's to get to the point where I don't even want to. Those things are repulsive to me. Thank you, Lord. Why? Because I have a greater and sweeter and unending love. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Limitless pleasures in Christ. You, Why would I trade him in for tinsel? Hallelujah. He says, these are of no value against fleshly Indulgence. All of these methodologies, self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, all of these met- human methodologies don't change the problem because they don't change the heart. They can't. Again, they, they appear helpful on the outside, but the reality is they are powerless against fleshly indulgence. It's interesting. Fleshly indulgence is essentially that insatiable desire of the flesh. Are we familiar with that? Am I the only one? I guess I'm the only one. That insatiable desire of the flesh for sin. It is that part of you that no matter how much you give into sin, no matter how much money, no matter how, much, how many people or toys or relationships or fame that you get, it's, it's what? It's never enough. That is a strong, strong force, a strong enemy in the life of the Christian, isn't it? You think well if I just give in this much or do this one thing have this one more drink whatever it might be look one more time that'll be enough I just need my fix and I can move on to God That's not how he describes it here It is an insatiable desire that you are trying to fill And no matter how much of a morsel you give it, it will always, always want more. So, what's the answer? What is the answer to the fleshly craving of sin? Is it to try harder? Is it to to humble yourself? It is is it to mistreat and beat your body into submission? If you do that, you're practicing a lifeless religion, a Christless Christianity. The only answer, the only solution is found in Christ. Without Christ, you are left with a religion that is full of rules and regulations, but is actually lifeless. Now, I'm not saying... That to be a Christian, there's no rules and there's no regulations. Look with me. If we go from our passage. uh, But are of no value of fleshly indulgence. At the end of verse 23. And then you jump down. To verse 8. Or even 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also lay them all aside. Wrath, anger, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man and his practices. So there's a lot of rules and regulations there, aren't there? Right? So we're not saying that when you come to Christ, you're just free to wing it and and, and live how I want to live. No, you come to Christ and there's a transfer of ownership from, from being enslaved to sin to being enslaved by Christ. But he describes it here as this new life, being raised up. You see, if you were to go from Verse 20, chapter 2 verse 23 to chapter f- 3 verse 5 that's a Christless Christianity it's moralism but what's in between those two? chapter 3 verse 1 through 4 therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth for you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. And then, and, and from that point, it's, well, I got all the motivation and power and reason to live a holy life. Because Christ is the core of it. He is my life. Without Christ, you are left with a religion that is, again, full of rules, regulations, but it's lifeless. But if you replace living for the indulgence of the flesh with finding your satisfaction in Christ, then, Christian, you have a vibrant and rich religion. So keep Christ at the center of your spiritual life. Church, Far from those fake buildings uh, at Universal Studios that have the facade of homes and buildings but are really of no value to live in. We, dear church, have not been given a Christless Christianity. We don't have low morality, limited perspective, or lifeless religion. No, we have been given Christ himself. And with Him, we have a lofty and transcendent morality. With Him, we have an eternal and glorious perspective. And with Him, we have been given abundant and true life. You see, with Christ at the center, we have a transcendent, eternal, and living Christianity. So what do we need to do? Remember Him. Keep fighting to make Christ the center of your life. The center of your universe. The apple of your eye. Fight to keep him uh, central to your spiritual life. And part of that is taking the Lord's Supper. Because he says when you do that, you are remembering him. Oh, how often we need to remind ourselves of Christ, don't we? I trust that's why you're here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for giving us so much more than just another religion, another set of rules. Thank you for giving us your only begotten Son. And when we have him, we have everything. Oh Lord, may you help us to remember your dear son this morning. Forgive us for, for, for uh, forgetting him. Forgive us for uh, neglecting him. May you use this time as we gather around your table, around the Lord's table, to, to bring into vivid memory, to bring Christ back to the front of our minds, not the back. Do that in the lives of your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would... uh...